0: The only purpose of the Talking Space podcast is to educate and to inform. The views expressed in this program are the opinions, experiences, and conclusions of the guests. They do not represent the official policy or position of the Space Tweep Society as a whole, NASA, any other space agency, company, contractor, or affiliate. All
1: of you on the, the good earth. One. And and one small step for man, one giant
0: leap.
2: And to another episode of the Talking Space Podcast. This is episode 215 for the week of Monday, April 26th, 2010. I am Sawyer Rosenstein, and joining me, as always, is Gene McCulka. Welcome, Gene. Good evening, Sawyer. How are you doing today? I'm good, thank you. As well, Gina Herlihy.
1: Hey, Sawyer.
2: Ready to go. I think we all are. And also, Mark Ratterman. Welcome, Mark. Hello, hello, hello for each of you. Oh, thank, <laughs> thank you very sir. much. Thanks, so I should Mark. say thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, you. sir. <laughs> now that we're friendly with each other, let's get right into our first topic. And our first topic is that STS-131 safely landed at the Kennedy Space Center, completing its mission, which lasted a total of 15 days, 2 hours, 47 minutes, and 11 seconds, if you want to be exact, after traveling over 6,200,000 miles. While there, it carried up the Leonardo Multipurpose Logistics Module, or MPLM, which went up and brought some extra supplies to the International Space Station. And this mission was flown aboard the Space Shuttle Discovery, her penultimate flight. So, any comments on the mission?
3: Well, it looks like uh, that might be the last time Leonardo is going to be coming home, if I'm not mistaken, correct? Uh, I believe it's going to be uh, converted over, and it will be permanently uh, birthed um, on the International Space Station by Discovery uh, when she goes up next, correct?
2: That's correct. It's the last one, and Leonardo will then become an official part of the International Space Station on Discovery's last flight, which is STS-133.
3: If I recall, too, the, there was a little bit of high drama there on that that mission. That was it. It had uh, a lot to do with the uh, the uh, nitrogen tank.
2: Also, don't forget the Ku band problem, which is the antenna, oh, yeah. which is the antenna that sends down most of the video and data information from the space shuttle to mission control. Lucky enough for them, they were able to yeah, share that, the one aboard the ISS.
3: Yeah, we they uh, also that also made the uh, Uh, The uh, wing-leaning edge uh, inspection, kind of interesting. Um, But uh, they overcome that challenge, and uh, they actually did the second, I believe they did the second run with the OBSS while uh, Discovery was docked to the station, if I'm not not mistaken. That's correct. But uh, all in all, it was a a pretty good, uh, it was a successful mission, even though we didn't get all the pretty pictures back from Discovery.
0: Oh, I gotta make a comment there. Go ahead. Right I was kind of waiting, waiting for the end because uh, living in Florida my whole life and uh, getting to see two shuttle launches, which isn't a whole lot for as close as I am. I should certainly have a, a few dozen more, but I've never heard the uh, the sonic boom from the landing shuttle. And because of their uh, wave off the day before, I think due to weather. Uh, their their second opportunity the day they landed took it just east of Gainesville Florida where I work and uh, I knew the time and I wasn't sure exactly when so I went outside and stood there and looked at the sky to see if I'd see something moving fast I had no idea really even how far it was going to be from where I was at and uh, a few minutes after nine local time I hear the the famous signature boom boom and uh, it surprised me it was it was a lot more distinct and louder than I thought, and I consider that to be a treat because I remember one time, um, you know, being under its flight path, and it was a, uh, you know, we were under clouds and the Cape was under good weather, and I remember sitting with my windows open in my car on my way home, and uh, just about in the rain and getting wet, and, and uh, you know, hoping to hear something and never hearing anything. So it was a treat to finally, finally catch that. I would just love to see a landing. So that's still on my list.
3: All right, Mark. That's cool. Very cool. You <laughs> had opportunity to hear that.
0: Uh, you know, even if you only get uh, five or ten seconds of shuttle, it's it's a good five or ten seconds of the day.
3: Oh, that is too cool. That is really cool.
2: All right, then moving along from STS-131, let's go right on to the next space shuttle mission, which the day after uh, Discovery landed, space shuttle Atlantis made its way out to the launch pad. So STS-132 will be the final flight of the space shuttle Atlantis, OV-104, in which it will be a six-person crew, and they will be heading to the International Space Station carrying the Russian RASVET mini-research module, along with an integrated cargo carrier vertical light deployable. That will be the final flight once again of Atlantis, And that is scheduled for launch currently, now that it's out at the pad, May fourteenth, two 2010.
3: And a a fellow Northwestern New Jersey resident, uh, or former Northwestern New Jersey resident, uh, Garrett Reisman, is uh, going to be on board there. So uh, um, I'll be, uh, hopefully, uh, thanks to uh, the the NASA tweet-up, who will be over there to say, uh, to wave uh, a a fellow former Parsippany New Jersey resident uh, goodbye as he uh, goes up to, uh, to, uh, to uh, see the ISS. But, uh, <clears throat> New Jersey Rocks. <clears throat> <laughs> so uh, so we'll see. Uh, we'll be able to, uh, to uh, see him off. So that'll, that'll be a good deal.
1: I, I liked one of the tweets that I saw that week where Atlantis moved out to the pad because I think that it was delayed if not one or two nights. Do you remember? Because of weather. Yeah, and I think... Was it two nights she was
3: delayed I think it was two. I think
1: it was two. Robert Perlman from Collect Space said, it's almost as if Atlantis knows this is her last rollout and she won't leave the VAB, which I Aww. thought was just really sad.
3: Yeah, I'm, I'm welling up a little bit. Gina, I think you and I are going to be out there uh, at the uh, STS-132 tweet-up um, on the 13th and 14th, so uh, um, I that'll be, to be. Uh, yours truly as well, so uh, it'll be kind of neat to... Uh, Finally, meet you in person, but also to uh, to wave uh, Atlantis off on her uh, her final flight to uh, to the ISS. So that'll be that'll be quite a privilege.
2: Yes, it will be very bittersweet, I'm sure.
3: Yeah, definitely, definitely.
2: Now I was hoping to go back down for mission STS-134 this summer, but Mark, I believe you broke some very important news last week on Twitter.
0: Well, I got lucky. Uh, just happened to be sitting here thinking, what don't I know? And uh, actually, let me sidetrack myself a little bit. Uh, We got something going here that uh, gamblers and con men would call the shell game. And if you haven't heard of the shell game, you take three shells or cups or something and a small little object like a pea, perhaps, and you put the pea under one cup and then you shuffle them. Okay, we got three shuttles. And we got one payload that that I found myself ignorant of, and and three launch dates, and and et cetera, et cetera. And I thought, well, gee, I wonder what the AMS, the Alpha Magnetic Spectrometer, I wonder what that's all about. So on the weekend of the 18th, I went looking, and I found the uh, AMS website. And lo and behold, on April 18th, they put on the AMS website meeting results that indicated that... And changes that they wanted to make uh, last minute and how the instrument was going to operate, we're not going to have it ready to ship to Kennedy until uh, September of this year, which was a little bit behind their July launch date as intended for 134. So there's about a mid November launch window, and that's all from the AMS website. I don't know, there'll probably be something soon on NASA's site, and uh, you know, a little more detail there because they got a plan. All of the comings and goings up at the ISS, as to you know what spacecraft and uh, supply ships and different things can be in what positions on the ISS. So it's a complicated thing, but it looks like we get a, a couple extra months out of the uh, program with 134 being the last launch.
1: How would you like to be Steve Lindsey, who's been a <laughs> shuttle commander in the past? Who gives up his job as chief of the astronauts to be the quote-unquote last space shuttle commander. And while he's getting ready for the last shuttle flight, he suddenly finds out he's now the second to last shuttle flight. Oh!
3: <laughs> that would just be... Oh, boy.
2: That, <laughs> that has to be hurt. terrible. To give up your position like that? Yeah. All <laughs> wow. Yeah,
1: to train as command... You know, the, as commander of the last flight. He assigned himself... The last shuttle flight as commander. Sort of what, like, like what
3: John Young did <laughs> when he was head of the uh, astronaut office. He gave himself the
2: first flight. So. Well, exactly. If you have the power, you do it. T- <laughs> Unfortunately, though, hey, that s- also gave up my to plans to gang. go see it. <laughs> 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 yeah, I was supposed to go down oh, there in thirty four in August, and it Endeavor's my girl. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry, sir. But, but, but it's fine. It's my girl! No, you, it, it's not possible! No!
3: No, it's alright, Sawyer, don't worry.
2: But I want Endeavor!
3: <laughs> don't worry, she'll still love you.
2: Okay, okay. good. <laughs> A moment of silence for Sawyer's yes, loss.
0: Please. Anywho!
2: Yeah, I'd say we should move along now before it gets any crazier. Yeah, the rest of this conversation, if we have it offline, will be classified, right?
3: Uh Uh-huh, definitely.
2: Speaking of which... Exactly. You notice the transition there? How convenient. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Speaking of classified, on Thursday, April 22nd, the United States military actually launched what was called the X-37B, better known as the Mini Shuttle, or the Baby Shuttle, depending on what you want to call it, in cooperation with the United Launch Alliance launch the mini-shuttle, which is supposed to go up for about nine months and then come on down. The only thing we don't know is what's actually on board the actual shuttle, the mini-shuttle. Because this was originally started in 1988 as a NASA program, however, due to funding, the US military took it over and successfully launched it on its Atlas V finally in 2010. So, any idea what it's carrying up? Spy satellites? Candy? Who knows?
3: What do you think? Oh, who the heck? Yeah, who the heck knows what it's doing? It'll be very interesting to see, though. You know, nobody really knows how this is going to go ahead and fit into the uh, U.S. arsenal. But uh, it—it's also a sad thing too that uh, this was initially a NASA uh, critter, and due to budget cuts or or whatever, that it uh, um, it never really made the Made a splash within NASA, and the military took it over. So, once again, you know, I guess you know, the civilian side's loss is the military's gain. It's a sad thing, though, that uh, you know, something like this could not be expanded for uh, uh, for use uh, with the International Space Station, either delivering cargo or um, uh, a much, you know, maybe a slightly larger version or, of course, a slightly larger version, a much larger version, uh, used to uh, to send crew, which I think was the initial idea behind it when, uh, um, when it was first introduced. I think they wanted to go ahead and use that as simply a crew ferry to supplement the shuttle. But, unfortunately, it was not to be.
2: So what do you think now that, what do you think this maybe says for NASA that the United States military is now taking over and trying something similar to the space shuttle except not for human use and that NASA was unable to complete it. What do you think this could have as an effect for NASA and their unmanned ferry missions possibly to the International Space Station in the future?
3: Well, it wasn't so much that NASA wasn't wasn't able to complete it. It wasn't given the funds to complete it. Um, You know, it, it but what does it say? I don't know. Um, it may be a much more efficient way of delivering cargo to uh, to the station. I don't know. Um, I don't know if there's if there's, there's going to be a crossover, um, or if because of national security reasons they decide not to. But it would would really make some sense to possibly leverage this type of technology to deliver cargo to to uh, to the space station at this point.
0: I'm kind of drawing a blank. You know, one of the things that's uh, a little hard to to guess is with this being a military uh, essentially a test mission, we're not likely to hear much about it as to how successful it is. You know, there'll probably be a a press uh, release at some point that'll say that uh, you know, our, our test that was launched in April was successful and uh, the Air Force is moving forward with additional uh, additional tests or additional plans that may be all we hear in the future and there's no saying when it'll be
1: do you think there's any chance of the military picking up any part of constellation like they've picked this up whether it's the heavy lift vehicle like the Ares 5 that was supposed to be developed
3: well the military is saying that because of uh, constellation going pause up the uh, um, military also has has use for solid rockets. And Mm -hmm. since, um, for solid rocket, using solid rocket fuel, and since Constellation was sort of going to be the, um, you know, the the flagship project for solid fuel rockets, um, that that capability is um, sort of in question right now. So, um, you know, coming up with better solid rocket uh, propulsion systems just might be where the military may step in. And where NASA may or may not be, instead of, you know, the military, you know, being the uh, um, sort of the the recipients of some NASA technology, it might be vice versa.
1: Well, I think the military is doing a lot with um, alternative fuels, so it wouldn't surprise me if they tried some sort of alternative propulsion as well. Yeah, I agree.
2: Right, something similar maybe to the Vasmere engine, which is also currently being designed.
1: And uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully
3: it'll be tested, and we'll, uh, we'll see how well it does. I know the ion systems work fairly well on some of the unmanned on um, one unmanned probe that we, we sent out there, so it should be. would be most eager to see if Vasmir actually works.
1: Now, are any of these new systems able to get us off of Earth, or are they only able to power us far distances once we're in space?
2: From what I can tell, it's only the latter.
1: Okay, that's what I thought. So we still yes. need some sort of chemical thrust to get us out of the um, Earth's gravity.
3: You still need the HLV, right? And uh, and, and hopefully we'll, we'll just see how it all goes.
0: Kind of a sideline here. I don't know if this uh, this will fit in, but I'm trying to look up right quick the uh, payloads. And Ares One, they show a payload capacity of 56,000 tons to low Earth orbit. Of course, that's um, that's the Ares One, not the One X or any of the prototypes. That was the, I guess, the planned uh, design capacity of the the final product. Uh, and I'm not sure which of the um, which of the other rockets that are used for satellite launch what their capacities are. But here's a, a description of a Delta IV is having a payload range of. Uh, 18,900 pounds to 56,800 pounds, which is almost the same as the Ares One at the maximum end. Gina's question, I think, got me started thinking about that with payloads. And what was it you said? I'm sorry, I'm I'm getting lost.
1: (laughs) My question was, is it possible that these new engines could propel us off of Earth, you know, beyond the Earth's gravity? Or is this new propulsion technology only going to be useful once we're already in space and, you know, propel us into a certain direction, would be it Mars or some other deep space object. But my understanding is, and I think Sawyer's right, that we're still going to need a chemical rocket or a heavy lift vehicle to get us into space with this new propulsion technology in the first place.
2: And who's going to design that, do you think? Do you think it'd be NASA or military or private?
3: Well, it depends on what what mission you want. I mean, if um, you're talking about, you know, propelling humans to Mars, obviously NASA's going to take the, um, you know, take the lead on that. But if you're talking for other military applications, and I'm sure there's a, there's going to be a heavy-lift vehicle out there for military applications as well, uh, the military will probably go ahead and come up with something.
1: I think Boeing is saying that they've, they've got something that they have on paper now that they believe could be built rather quickly and questioning Obama as to why do we have to wait till 2015. We've got something right here, right now, that we can try to put together.
2: So moving along, Gene, I believe you have an update for us on uh, one of our satellites, if I'm correct.
3: Yeah, this uh, this past week, um, the Solar Dynamics Observatory um, had its uh, first light images come down, and the first thing that uh, I saw when I uh, saw these new uh Photographs of the sun that we had never seen before was, you know, holy, you know, fill in the blank with your favorite expletive here. Um, the, the photographs were just absolutely, absolutely dazzling, and like, if this is what the uh, SDO is going to be giving us um, during its uh, uh, lifetime, um, just hold on, you know, hold on to your socks, folks. This is going to be one heck of a uh, mission, and it's literally probably going to rewrite uh, so, uh, solar science. Uh, so. Uh, any, if you've uh, bought a book about the sun and then let you just, in the recent past um, you might as well just go ahead and just file it somewhere because I think uh, the Solar Dynamics Observatory is about ready to rewrite it um, the other purpose for this particular uh, satellite though is to go ahead and alert us to, uh, to uh, solar flares and so on uh, which can affect us here back on Earth big time in fact, uh, a couple of years back there was one solar flare that literally knocked out a uh, a station in, um, I believe, a uh, electrical station in Quebec that uh, had some pretty uh, pretty interesting uh, 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 consequences there. I believe there was a blackout that affected pretty much uh, you know, just about every, the entire Midwest. Almost. So, uh, you know, it's a good idea to, to keep an eye on the sun and, and see what it's doing. Um, not only that, but it all could also go ahead and a good solar flare can knock out communication satellites and GPS satellites and things like that. So, um, we'll just go ahead and uh, you know, hats off to S- SDO and the whole team. Uh, they've, they've done a ma- you know magnificent job so far, and uh, just waiting to see what else uh, what else they have up their sleeve.
1: This research is also critical to any mission to Mars that we're going to plan because very solar true. flares are a very critical danger to a potential crew headed out to Mars. Uh, that kind of radiation that would approach a spacecraft on its way in interstellar space is huge danger to human life so this kind of research is vital if we ever really think we're gonna get there with any degree of safety
0: I got something to throw in uh, and it's maybe uh, maybe an item that people have already run across but every time I watch it I get a kick out of it but there are some uh, some videos that NASA has put up on YouTube and uh, they're under the, the tag of NASA Explorer. And there's one called Little SDO Big Sun, and uh, it's funny. It's, it's really a funny little video that gives you some idea of how much uh, greater the resolution that SDO is providing of, of the solar disk and, and the, the science that they can do compared to SOHO and uh, you know previous previous missions, but uh, take a look at YouTube and NASA NASA Explorer and uh, SDO, and tip of the hat to uh, Goddard Space Flight Center because they're putting out uh, products that I that I download on iTunes uh, under NASA Goddard Shorts HD, and they're HD videos. They got stereo sound. They're just an I think an excellent production, and most of them are. Our short videos, a minute, two minutes, and uh, well worth looking for.
3: Indeed. And if uh, anybody's interested and wants to see the first-like picks, uh, go to sdo.gsfc.nasa.gov, and uh, uh, we'll go ahead and put that in the show notes. And, Mark, I, I guess we, we'll try to see if we can scheme and wangle and put that into the show notes, too.
0: Gene, you might want to repeat that. You were real choppy.
3: Okay. Thank you, Mark.
2: And, um, still, and s- still are. Because I hear it just she, fine. What? Okay.
0: Yeah, you know, I'm that? hearing it um, just
2: fine on my recorder. Okay. Disregard. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Sorry about that. Maybe hey, we'll get through moving, this show.
3: Moving right along.
2: <laughs> okay, and moving along, we are also celebrating a very special birthday. So we would like to wish a very special Happy 20th birthday to the Hubble Space Telescope, which on April 24th of 1990, the Space Shuttle Discovery released the Hubble Space Telescope on mission STS-31. Supposed to be the most spectacular telescope in the world, the lens was open only to discover that the lens was not put on properly. It was off by, I believe, one one one-hundredth of an inch or some really small number. And that really small problem with the lens caused all of the images to be blurry. So coming up with the most daring mission, in 1993 another space shuttle was sent back to Hubble in which they basically gave it glasses and some good instruments and they fired it off and Hubble has been working ever since and is probably the most famous telescope in the world. So. Congratulations to Hubble, right?
3: Yeah, and uh, it uh, overcame the uh, spherical aberration um, issue that, unfortunately, it uh, was launched with on board STS-131. Um, I believe that was... STS-31. Shuttle dis- yeah, STS-31. I'm sorry. Thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm seeing double tonight, guys. My apologies. Um, on uh, STS-31, and uh, I believe that was Shuttle Discovery. Um. And uh, uh, you know, it it had its little black eye. The sad part about it is that the uh, um, the lens that was built by Perkin Elmer had that that flaw. But the sad part about it is the Kodak built lens, which is still down here, and I believe it's over at, at the Smithsonian, um, is is absolutely perfect, <laughs> and it's the only piece of you know the only backup piece of Hubble uh, hardware that. Uh, That was actually built, but um, anyway, um, STS-61, which I believe was Columbia, uh, was was uh, sent up and uh, went ahead and and made that historic spacewalk to go ahead and repair Hubble, and uh, it worked marvelously. And uh,
2: STS-61, sorry to interrupt you,
3: but was Endeavour. Thank you. Um, The his girl. His girl, yes. I can't forget that thank you so here for the correction I appreciate. No, that. If it involves Endeavor, I will always make a correction. Okay, I thought it was Columbia, but my 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 nope. mistake.
2: That flew three B, also known as STS one oh nine.
3: Okay, That that's that's probably the flight I'm thinking about. Um but uh, moving right along, um Story Musgrave and, and uh, a whole bunch of other folks went ahead and and did the historic EVA and got that uh and, and got her going and, and wow. Uh, it's uh, Hubble has basically become a, uh, a cultural icon so happy birthday
1: and if you haven't done it so already go wherever you have an IMAX theater near you and watch the Hubble 3D movie it, it is phenomenal I have to congratulation, uh, send congratulations to Tony Myers the producer and the director of the film the crew had to tape um, the astronauts on board only had 30 seconds per shot that they had to film within these windows, and they had to get things absolutely perfect. There really aren't any second takes on the uh, EVAs that they photographed inside the, the, the shuttle itself, um, interacting with, with each other, astronauts are watching uh, them grapple the Hubble into place. Unbelievable footage. In addition to quite a close-up in 3D IMAX of watching the shuttle itself launch, it was really a phenomenal movie. It's 45 minutes, but there's two parts of the movie where um, the people in the you know digital imaging who ever did the editing of this film really dissected the images of Hubble, and you went inside these clouds and galaxies and clusters and it was just phenomenal it's mind blowing really to see just how big the universe is in a, sco- in a scope and different you know a perspective that's hard for a human being to to get their mind around it's really it's really well worth 45 minutes of your time
3: and sadly I've not seen that yet and we have the uh, the IMAX theater over here in uh, at the Liberty Science Center in Jersey City and I have not seen that thing yet I have to go ahead and do that at my See, earliest possible convenience.
2: Definitely same thing. And just so you know, Hubble was actually, when it first launched, using some pretty old technology when it came to it. Because the Hubble Space Telescope was originally supposed to be launched in 1986. That was unfortunately stopped by the Challenger accident. However, it was really supposed to go earlier. And since Indeed. then, it has become so popular that President Obama even has a picture from Hubble in the Oval Office in the White House. And that should speak volumes, in a way. Indeed, and who knows what future discoveries it will make, as no more space shuttles go to perform servicing missions, which I believe there have currently been four missions to service it. STS-61, which was the big repair mission. Uh, I'm sorry, five. Uh, STS-82, which was Discovery. The third one was, again, Discovery. The fourth one was Columbia. The last one, the one that Gina was talking about with the IMAX movie, was STS-125. Any last comments on the greatest telescope in the history of mankind?
3: Also, the uh, the mission that put Mike, Mike Massimino on the map for, on Twitter, that's
2: for sure. Yes, Anonymous with the first tweet from space.
3: Yep, and uh, one last comment. What are we going to do for the on the encore, the uh, James Webb telescope waiting in the wings. So it should be very interesting to see what uh, what uh, uh, what it can do and uh, what kind of uh, photography and what kind of uh, data it could send back and can really rival, uh, can it really replace a cultural icon that Hubble has become.
2: By the way, can I just add one interesting fact here? Yeah. Hubble was supposed to be brought back aboard the space shuttle once its mission was complete and it was no longer working. However, since the shuttle was retiring, on STS-125, they actually developed and attached what's called the Soft Capture and Rendezvous System, which was made so that either a crewed or robotic mission can take Hubble back with it and either burn it up or bring it back to Earth, which is not very likely.
3: Yeah, I think uh, initially it was going to be brought back home, and it's, a, it's going to be a darn shame not to see that hit sitting in the Smithsonian amongst uh, you know, other icons like the, the X1 and, and the Y Flyer. But um, it, it, did, it did its job, and it did well, and uh, what else can we say, but it will, ever, will forever have, it, have its place in history. Um, I do not think the, that uh, it will be coming home. I think it will probably be burned up in the atmosphere and, and uh, something will be attached to it and it will bring it in that way.
2: Indeed, and with that, I believe this episode is finished. So once again, thank you, everybody, for joining us. Thank you, Gene.
3: Oh, always a pleasure, sir.
2: Thank you as well, Gina.
1: Oh, any time.
2: And of course, thank you, Mark.
0: I'm not really speechless, and I'm not muted. <laughs> I'm just, um,
2: hate to say goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you, but don't worry, Mark. We'll be back again next week, correct? Dokie dokes. Good with me. Sounds good to me as well. And, of course, you know, you can always get in contact with us before next week, and we'd be more than happy to hear from you. You know, you can contact us now on our Twitter account, which is twitter.com slash You can find us on Facebook and become a fan of us that way. Or you can send us an email to mailbag at talkingspaceonline.com or use the form on our website, talkingspaceonline.com. Once again, thank you everybody for listening and have a great day, night, evening, or whatever it may be where you are.